This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. Hey, what's up, everybody? Jeremy here. And guys, I'm very excited for the conversation we're going to have today because I followed this guy for a bunch of years before we finally connected had some conversations and now we're having this conversation. So I'm excited to kind of dive into this. Our guest today is Damon Burton and he is the founder of SEO National. And uh, I'm really excited to pick this guy's brain because he built this company during a down economy. It is a you know seven-figure agency that's done a lot of really cool things out there. They're beating billion-dollar brands. So there's a lot of insights here. So Damon, thanks for hanging out with me today, man. Yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, it is kind of funny how you overlap in these worlds and run into each other and then see where the relationships go from there. So I'm excited to that we are now next level bros and we get to hang out. Yeah, it's I think it started on LinkedIn, man. And then before I know it, like I'm following you on Twitter and I'm following you on Facebook. And then it it was a bit before we had a conversation. So now here we mm-hmm. are, man. It, I think it shows what you're doing is effective. You know, that's interesting you bring that up because my whole thing is the long-term play and we'll probably talk about that and we'll talk about the sales process and things like, you know, the seven figures to eight figures, kind of uh, the whole sales agenda, because as you and I talked offline the other day, I don't do any sales. And so mm. that'll probably become part of the part of the conversation. Well, I think let's start there then because you built, you know, you started building this business, I believe in 2007, right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 2008, you know, the whole whole world went to shit and, you know, in a handbag and it wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. So that was a rough time to start a business. But yet you've built a business without really having a sales team. Let's start there. What's that been like? Kind of putting a business together without, you know, really having a frontline sales team out there. Yeah. So I literally have no salesperson at all. I have no sales process. I have no outbound process. And every year we grow, you know, 20, 30, 50%. So when I first started in 2007, like nobody knew that there was a recession coming the next year. Sure. And and each time we have some sort of economic downturn, I'm, I realize how fortunate I am that those tend to be the years I grow the most. And, and we can kind of start to talk about why, but in 2008, I was a solopreneur, so it wasn't like I was making a bazillion dollars. At the time, I think I was making, you know, my day job before I started the business, I was making 28000 And then I got to the point where my side hustle was making, I don't know, 25000 And there's a whole story there, too, that, you know, maybe we talk about, about my former employer getting shut down and raided by the FTC. But oh, my gosh. What ultimately happened is I had a choice to make. So mm-hmm. they get shut down and it's like, okay, do I, I finally get a hold of somebody and they say, everything's fine. You'll still get your paycheck. But would I really, you know, that's what was going mm-hmm. through my head. So I had three choices and it was, okay, do I wait and see if I have a job? Do I assume I don't and go find a new job? Or do I double down and bet on myself on what I've established so far. So I did the math at that point and I realized, okay, my wife has a job. We don't have any kids yet. We only have a mortgage and a car payment. So relatively speaking, minimal debt. Can I take, so my income quite literally got cut in half. It went from 50 something thousand to 20 something thousand. But between our income, we could still pay for everything, you know, mm-hmm. still put food on the table, still pay the mortgage. And I thought that was 
probably as calculated as a risk as I was ever going to have as an opportunity. So that's when I became an entrepreneur and I said, okay, I'm going all in and betting on myself. Now, what that did is I went from, even though the day job was making 60% of the income, it was taking up 80 to 90% of my time. Mm -hmm. So in freeing up that time, then I was able to make out that income in, in just a couple months. So that's just a, a brief backstory into how I got into the world. And then from there, the next year was just kind of building up processes and figuring out, okay, this is cool. I'm self-employed. How mm. far do I want to take this? And then what I realized the second recession that happened. So I've had my agency for 16 years, the second time, third time, I don't know if we're in the fourth time, whatever we're in right now. <laughs> it feels like they just keep <laughs> happening, man. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So I, I think we've had two in the last six months. I don't know at this point. <laughs> for real. Yeah. Like, is it two or did one ever stop? Or it's like, like, I don't know. I was actually just thinking this before we jumped on the call. Like, do I put my money back in the market? What am I doing here? So my so, interview right before this, I was interviewing like a very successful trader and we we're talking about markets and he's like, I don't know. Is it going up? Is it going down? It's like, we're in like a roller coaster right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, as these moments have happened over the last 16 years, you know, I got very lucky in that first recession. The growth was relative, right? I, I think mm -hmm. I doubled, but doubling means 50 to 100 grand. So yeah. uh, it's not 50 to a million dollars. But percentage-wise, that's a lot, especially as a solopreneur. Yeah. And then when it happened the second time, when we had an economic downturn and things grew a lot again, the second time I went, okay, I don't think this is an anomaly. So mm -hmm. can I figure out why I'm fortunate to be growing. And what I realized ties into what we touched on is the long-term play. And what I realized is in times where people have to protect their dollar more, they want to give it to somebody that is going to help protect it for them too, mm. or is going to take and stretch it further, right? <clears throat> so I realized that that's where relationships were starting to come into play. I had just always been a relationship-driven person, but then I realized you can be intentional about it. And you can use it as a business model. So then that's how things like these opportunities you and I start connecting is yeah. where it's like, okay, I'm just going to go be everybody's cheerleader. I'm going to go encourage them on their posts. If it's a person that I think is doing cool things and I like the, what they talk about and I can relate to them in some way, I'm just going to go support them. Purely through that is what has driven the growth of my agency is just engaging and supporting other people. And so it's been personally rewarding was the main driver. But then when I realized you could be intentional for business, then that's just a whole other bonus. It's really interesting you mentioned that because we were literally having a, a conversation about this yesterday because we've been kind of looking at our ad strategy and stuff like that. And we found, you know, eight out of 10 people we get off paid traffic usually aren't a good fit for like our main service, right? Like they're great mm -hmm. for one of our courses or one of our like books or early products, but they're not a fit for our main service. We find the people that our main service clients are people I've met from relationships, I've talked to at events. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm curious, kind of diving into that a little bit more, where should we be intentional more, right? Because I think there's some areas where being intentional more is going to be a time suck, but it's not going to help you. So I guess, mm -hmm. like, how do you decide where the best place to be more intentional is? I put the focus on the type of people I want to surround myself with. Mm. And I think that's basically the same thing you just said in different ways, right? Yeah. Is the people that end up buying your thing are the people that have found them to associate themselves with you or vice versa. So I've really, it really comes down to better understanding who you are, or at least being more confident in who you are. You know, I was talking to one of our new hires this morning and we were talking about this intentionality. And she says, how can I help you 
do that more at scale because part of our process is, is like, you know, send these certain touch points and milestones. Like if we have a client that accomplishes a, a new top ranking on Google, then we'll send them like this custom mini cake and they explode and we put the logo in it and pictures and all this fun stuff. And so she's like, how do I do more of that? How do I recreate Damon at scale? Because the approach that we take is like, we don't send swag. We don't send knickknacks. Like if that's your thing, that's fine. But I want it to be an emotional experience. It's a gift, but I'm not really sending a gift. I'm giving an experience. And so how do we do that at scale? And it really just comes down to, if you put yourself first, you're going to attract the people that relate to you. And then through that, it brings down all the sales walls. So even though I'm intentional about it, intentional about relationships for two reasons, primarily personal fulfillment feels good. Mm -hmm. And then I do it at scale because it also drives sales. Now, because of that, you can't lose. So you talked about, okay, how do we, how do we waste time? Right. You waste time by being intentional on sales first. Mm -hmm. And if you put relationships first, then also comes the sales. But if you put sales only first, you could be wasting time and getting neither. I want to kind of parlay this in because we touched on traffic a little bit there. And, and, you know, what SEO National does is really help people get found online. And I guess when we look at it, why is it more beneficial to put money into, you know, search engines than it is putting money into like search engine traffic, like, right? Like SEO versus yeah. SEM. Like, why is it better to kind of invest in SEO? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not one to throw rocks at other advertising. They all have advantages and disadvantages, including sure. SEO. So from the perspective of, you know, what are the advantages? You pointed out one of them is the intention on the buyer, right? So eight out of 10 or whatever you said your percentage is are not necessarily a good fit. Because if you look at paid ads, you are stereotyping a persona. And so you're going, okay, I Based on statistics, the average of my audience is male or female, this age, that age, this demographic, like these things, but those may or may not be true. Yeah, I don't know about you, and, and maybe I'm just weird about this, but when everybody, like, whenever anybody talks about the word, and I hate this word for some reason, the customer avatar, I'm like, that movie mm -hmm. with the blue people, like, I don't know, it just annoys me, because I'm like, <laughs> I highly doubt every person that becomes your customer is exactly this, because I've run yeah. a business long enough to know that's not true. Yeah. So, okay. So how do you solve that? So the opposite of that is what SEO does. The opposite is SEO tracks uh, based on buyer intent, because then it doesn't matter what the persona is. It's, I want your thing, mm -hmm. whether they are that avatar or persona or not. And so the difference between paid ads is it's interruptive based marketing. You're the shiny bubblegum wrapper at the checkout stand saying, I'm right here. I'm convenient Buy my thing and then get in and get out. Mm -hmm. SEO is also part of that long-term play. It's like the people that want, especially for like high ticket or more personal decisions, mm -hmm. they want to educate themselves on the process. And part of what SEO provides is the content around that to educate the reader and align the product with the buyer intent to establish trust. Paid ads don't do that. Paid ads are generally as quick as possible. Get them in, get them out, give them the call to action and be done. The people that want to read things are the ones that want more content, which SEO provides, and then they want to better trust the process of whatever, either the higher ticket thing or the personal thing they're buying. And so SEO identifies the need and sells the need instead of stereotyping the persona. I like that too, because I even think of myself as a buyer. Like I'm somebody, if I go to a car lot, I'm running away from the salesperson because I would yeah. just kind of educate myself and kind of like, my wife thinks it's hilarious to shop with me. I'm like, all right, I've researched for this long. I want this one and this model with this mileage and cool. Can we get it? Like that's usually how I am as a buyer. By the time I've arrived to a call, I've already decided like what I want, how I want and whatever. So I guess yeah. when we're looking at like 
people that are that type of decision maker because I think to me those are people that are going to invest in you with the right amount. They're going to invest you with the right amount of time and everything else. How do we formulate the right content for that? I guess my personal struggle is I feel like we make good content when it comes to like our blog and things like that. But I don't think it's like getting seen as much as we'd like. And I think this is a struggle for a lot of people. Like how Mm -hmm. do we get, you know, I guess what type of content should we be creating for search and how do we actually get people to see it? Yeah. So you want to remove your personal opinion. So a great example would be myself. I love talking SEO. I can get super nerdy and it would bore the hell out of the majority of the audience. So just because I want to talk about it doesn't mean I should talk about it. I want to talk about it too, though, man. So it's okay. (laughs) You're the outlier. So what you want to do is you want to remove the emotion from it and look at data. There's lots of great tools out there. One that's really popular that many will know is called answerthepublic.com. So what you want to do is there's a couple of processes of what we follow that I'll just give the audience okay. is first you want to go, where's the money? Where's Jeremy's money? And so what I mean by that is where's the search demand? Okay. What are the types of keywords and phrases, right? Keyword research. And so there's lots of tools that you can use to figure out where that cash flow is following. So there's tools like spyfoo.com. It's free. They have paid options, but you can get in there for free. You type in your competitors, look where they're throwing their money, especially the bigger ones. So websites like SpyFu will say, what are these guys targeting organically and paid? Now, mm-hmm. even if we're only talking SEO, it's still good to look at paid data because they're throwing money at it. And if they're throwing money at it, they're probably getting a return on it. Mm-hmm. So first follow the money. Then from there, go to something like answer the public, because now you have your words to say, okay, this is where the demand is. Now, to answer your question, how do I create topics that align with buyer intent? Mm. That's the gap where everybody falls short on content because instead they just make gut reactions or assumptions of what they should talk about. What Answer the Public will do, will say, here's what people have already asked about those words. And here's the who, what, when, where, and why of how they asked the question. That is quite literally a blueprint of your audience saying, these are the pain points I have. These are the problems I want solved. So go create content around those. Because it seems to me that in the past, it mattered more like, you know, what are your meta tags? What are your descriptions? What are your, but it seems like it's actually content that matters a lot more now. Like what's the quality mm-hmm. of the content? Is, am I incorrect about that? Or what are your thoughts on that? No, that's true. Yeah. As far back as I want to say 2008, maybe 2009. Was that when like uh, Panda happened? Like that kind of stuff? Panda and Penguin was in 2011 and 2012. So even before that, okay. so for the audience... Because I remember the days of when I used to have a yeah. GeoCity site with words in white in the background stuffed in so that I could get yeah. searched. That doesn't work anymore. <laughs> no, so that, that was Panda. So these two fuzzy animal algorithms are Google's attempt to deal with content manipulators and mm-hmm. credibility manipulators. And so these algorithms focused on who has the original value added content, because a lot of people used to, your example, hide content and just stuff it or take content from another website, just copy and paste if repurposing at all. Yeah. And so, but even before that, there was an algorithm that focused on, what did I say? 2008, There was a change in, you mentioned meta. So a long time ago, there was this guy named Matt Cutts who used to run like quality control at Google. There's a YouTube video of him in, I want to say 2009, saying they don't even look at meta keywords. So as far back as that, 14 years ago, it is literally something that the search engines don't even pay attention to. Now, there are different types of tags. Some of them still have a little value, but maybe I'll give one example so we don't 
bore to death audience of SEO technicalities. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm like picking your brain here, man, because I find yeah, this, this extremely is, intriguing. This is, yeah, this is the this Jeremy SEO crash course. <laughs> so meta descriptions are, if you go to Google and you search something, you get the results. And in the results of a website, you have the larger text, and that's called the title tag. And then you have the little text of two lines below, which is called the meta description. You can still populate those. They still show up in search engines. What you want to do, though, is they're less, to your point, they're less valuable in cramming keywords in there because marketers like to abuse things. And so yes. Google's devalued They those. ruin everything, man. Marketers they like do. ruin everything. Give them long enough and they'll do it. Yeah. So with these meta descriptions, the value has changed. Mm-hmm. It's less likely the value of saying keyword, keyword, keyword. And instead, it's can you compel a click? It's the mm. click-through rate. So what I recommend on these is a two-sentence format. Sentence number one is, Jeremy's thing is really cool, here's why. And then sentence number two is, click now to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Because Google will pay attention to that click-through rate, and the more that more clicks you get, the more benefit of the doubt you're going to get, and the more Google's going to move you up. But you're only going to show up to begin with if you have good content for it to serve. You know, we mentioned about how to find ideas, but like when we're actually constructing content, does the length of it matter? Does the modality of it matter, like video versus text or things like that? Like what matters most when we're constructing something? Good question. Content length does and does not matter. If it's justified in having a longer answer, then we've done a bunch of A-B testing. Long-form content can perform better than short-form content, but here's the catch. If you can solve a problem in 500 words, don't write a thousand words because you think you need to write a thousand words because now you're writing 500 words of garbage. Yeah, and I so usually then, find like things I'm writing around six to 700 words because I feel like I've explained mm-hmm. everything in then and if anything after that point, I think I'm kind of wasting people's time. Yep, yeah, so focus on solving the problem. Yeah, so if you've solved the problem in shorter form, that's fine. If there is more value that can be added and you can do so without pulling your hair out and write longer content, then longer form content can have value, but focus on the value first. Now the media type, video versus text, there's advantages and disadvantages to video. There's advantages to video because YouTube is its own search engine on its own. So if people go directly there, there's obvious value there that you won't get by having text-only content. The disadvantage to video on your website is that it's a rich media asset, and so it's heavier than text, so it's gonna slow Mm -hmm. your website. So what I recommend is you can add video to your text blog just to diversify it but put it at the bottom because what happens is as much as google preaches page speed the two biggest things that i see slow down a website are embedded youtube videos and google maps Mm. both of which google owns so if you put that at the bottom of your page everything else can load ahead of it before it gets bottlenecked so you can kind of take a hybrid approach of getting the benefit of youtube having a video embedding it on your website just do it at the bottom of the page so your text can be read first i guess when we're looking at like you know doing seo as a long-term strategy because it is right pages need to age they need to get found you need to be doing it for a while what does that look like in action like how often should we be creating content when do we know we've done enough? Do you know what I mean? Like, and how consistently should we be doing it? Right. I guess there's a lot of questions mm-hmm. there, but I guess, how do you, how do you want to answer that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're an established website and you have historical content, it can be really cool. You can have a lot of quick wins. Um, so like a lot of times we'll have a client come in and they've had a bunch of content. It's just not structured properly or their website's a mess. The design sucks a lot slow. So if you have historical content, cause you're right, you do need to backlog a bunch of this because you can only show up for what Google can read. But right. if you have content already, 
you can go in and properly optimize the structure and have wins within just a couple of weeks. Now, if you're starting from scratch, yeah, it's a long-term play because you can only show up for what Google can read. So you got to create enough content for Google to read. I would say at a minimum, you know, twice per month, ideally at least once per week. If you can do more, there is no such thing as too much good content, but it has to be good, unique value-added content. So do as much as you can within the capacity of maintaining quality over quantity. Now, how long does this take? Yeah. You need to separate progress versus monetization. So when you look at if you're making progress, there's all these tools. You can search rank tracking software. What you want to do is go, where am I at now that I'm starting? Where's your initial benchmark? So I'm going to go target keyword XYZ, type it in one of these rank trackers or manually go to Google and search it yourself. Find out how far back you are. Then start checking that every 30 to 60 days. What you want to see is going from oblivion and not found to page 10. Mm-hmm. Now, page 10 doesn't mean traffic. Then you want to see page 10 to page 7, 7 to 4, 4 to 3. That's the progress. But so few people go past page 1 that you're not going to get monetization until you hit page 1. So as long as you see forward momentum on the positions, then you're heading in the right direction. So it really just depends on how much patience and cash flow you have to kind of wait it out. I guess when we're looking at it then, you know, this is something you have your finger on the pulse on all the time. How often is SEO changing and, you know, like what things are you following? It's a good question because the answer, there's two answers. One is daily and the other answer is never. So Because I ask, because even looking at some of these like social media sites, like I think Twitter has an update like every three days or Facebook mm builds a new platform, you know, every two days. So like, I'm sure SEO is moving fast, man. Yeah, well, okay, so the technical answer is Google has algorithm updates probably daily as well. Wow. But conceptually, very little has changed. So I've had the agency for 16 years, and over those 16 years, you can simplify all these different things that you do to fulfill into just three areas of fulfillment. It's your site structure, your content strategy, and your external credibility. So do other websites talk about you, link to you, mention you? Out of all the evolutions of algorithms, all of it fall into those three categories. So we talked about Panda earlier, right? So Panda is about that second category, content. We talked about Penguin. Penguin was about external credibility. That's the third category. And so then a lot of people are like, well, what about voice? Okay, Voice is an input-output mechanism. But what is happening in between then, like nobody's on the other side recording voice drops for their website. What's mm-hmm. happening is you ask Google or Siri or whatever, a question and then it goes on the back end it performs a regular search it goes who has the content that i trust the most that i can access the quickest and has good credibility it's just those same three things it just is an output input mechanism but at the end of the day to date it may change in the future to date any algorithm i can think of is just the same old three core concepts you know what's really interesting and i don't know if i'm just weird damon but like when i perform a google search i'm usually typing how do i blah 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 and I guess, like, is that how most people search and how we should be thinking we put together content? Or am I just weird? It's a hybrid. And I'm trying really hard to not feel obligated to make a joke about you being weird. No, dude, I'm, I'm so <laughs> weird. Like, 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 like when, when you look at it, like, I ask Google questions like it's a human being. And I actually get some pretty uh-huh. decent results. But I'm curious if I'm yeah. just weird or that's how most people think when they search. It's a split because there's the younger generations are ask it questions. It's more conversational. You know, 40 and older, we've been trained to like type it in based on like abbreviated 
keyword yeah. combinations. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, but either way you ask or type Google something, it matters less nowadays okay. because there's what's called semantic search. And it basically goes, okay, what does Jeremy really mean? Whether it's a three word thing or like a 10 word sentence, it's going to get to very similar answers. And I guess you have to be careful like what you type in because maybe it'll trigger the NSA or something. How do I dot, dot, dot. Okay, let's tag somebody there. We need to be watching the search. But we've talked a lot about Google here, Damon. I'm curious, like how much do other search engines matter? Like, you know, like Bing and I know um, chat GPT is kind of a new thing coming out too, which apparently I can never access because it's always, there's always too many people on it. How much do these other search engines matter? So... Usually when we talk about search engines, it's Google, Bing, and Yahoo, mm -hmm. and there's a handful of others. Google by far has the majority, but that doesn't mean the others are worthless. So depending on the study you read, Google has 80 to 90% of the search engine traffic. And then YouTube has another chunk of that, which is Google, right? So Google effectively owns like 95% of the market. Now that's not to say that the other percentage that, uh, so let's ignore YouTube and just focus on traditional search engines. If Google has 80%, then Yahoo and Bing kind of go back and forth between 15 and five, right? Who owns which of that half? But that's not, even though statistically Google owns a crap ton more of that traffic, that's not to say that that's still not millions of dollars that's sitting in Bing and Yahoo. Mm -hmm. So when you do SEO the right way, it's agnostic to the search engines. Some of them will recognize changes quicker. Google recognizes structural changes quicker than Bing and Yahoo. Mm -hmm. But you, you don't have to do different things for different search engines. So if you do it right, you just make one game plan that's applicable to all the search engines. ChatGPT, it will not replace Google. It may replace a percentage of the search demand. I have a really great friend who's even more technical and nerdy than I am. And ChatGPT has already replaced Google for him. But wow. it's because he's very conversational. Here's a super simple way to explain why ChatGPT won't replace Google. You can't buy anything from ChatGPT. So like if you need to buy a product or a service, you're not going to ChatGPT. You might use it for research, but effectively you're still going to go back and find a website that offers the product or service you want to buy. What people talk about where ChatGPT, where they say it's going to replace search engines is in conversational answers and queries. So my friend goes to it and like you searching for cars, mm -hmm. you could go to ChatGPT and say, what's the best car that is four-door, this gas mileage, whatever, and then get a reply instead of you having to go to 20 websites and aggregate the results yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's just conversational opportunities that ChatGPT is likely to impact search demand. How do you feel about a software like ChatGPT? Because I like when I look at it, I actually see more less of a search, but I see it more as like the ability of like content creation and stuff and other things in the future. Mm -hmm. I'm curious... If you've dove into it all, like, I guess what you see out of it. We have, we've tested it and we've tested all the other AIs before it. Chat GPT as a concept is not new. Like before mm -hmm. it was Jasper, before it was whatever, you know, there, there's like a new one every six months. I had tried months. Jasper for content creation. It, we didn't do so hot, but you know, I've okay. tried some of the other ones here and there. Like I'll give chat GPT its credit. It is way more effective than all the ones before it. Like a third of my team are copywriters. And so when we had our, our latest meeting, this came up and, and it was like, look, ChatGPT is not part of our processes. You can use it for ideation. You can use it for inspiration, but you will not use it as a, an output tool. The problem that ChatGPT creates is that you don't know if the data is correct because you don't know where it came from. Yep. And it doesn't cite the data. So... That's a big liability. 
Yes. The other issue is who owns the output? Chances are it's probably not you mm -hmm. because you didn't create it. So what the current assumption is in marketing is that at some point there will probably be some sort of um, licensing citation. So mm -hmm. if you create output from ChatGPT, you have to put a footnote that said it was AI generated from ChatGPT. From the search engine perspective, there will probably be what's called a rel. And so like in links, you can put rel equals UGC, which means user generated content. So you're telling Google that the content on this page was aggregated from a survey or from taking a poll and you didn't create it, right? And so you're just acknowledging the format of the content. Google will probably require something that says rel equals AI or something. And then as soon as that happens, then Google is going to go, great, now we can discredit all that AI content. Or if you don't play by their rules, they're going to figure out a way to catch on to the pattern of AI output. And then because you didn't play by the rules, they're going to punish you anyway. Mm -hmm. So I guess what trend are you most excited about or, or what are you watching at the moment? You know, whether it's, you know, with SEO, whether it's with AI, like what things are you watching and most excited about right now? Um, I take the opposite approach. I keep my head down and focus on what works. Mm. I find the idea of AI romantic and I like it. Um, I like the potential of it. But for now, it will not, probably never will it replace the human element. Mm -hmm. You can read content, even your Facebook friends, you yeah. read their social media, like you know the ones that are copying and pasting something that I created from ChatGPT. So we're not going to use it for copywriting. We'll use it maybe a little bit for idea creation, but from there we take it in-house and write everything. So I think my success has largely been driven by avoiding the hype. Yeah, I, I think that's the best way to do it, man, is just focus on what worked. And I think, you know, if you can just improve on that, it's kind of the Malcolm Gladwell idea, right? Of finding, you know, really diving deep into something, getting really good at that. And once you master the basics, you're just continuing to improve from there. So I think sometimes mm -hmm. people get stuck on the shiny objects. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Damon, I've really enjoyed this conversation, man. I think I really picked your brain incredibly on this one. We're going to have some great YouTube videos that come out of this. So for people listening, if they want to, you know, find out more about you or if they want to check out SEO National, how's going to be the best way to do that? Uh, best place would just go to freeseobook.com. In it, I've just taken all of our processes and created a blueprint. I don't pitch you on anything on a thank you page and invite you to a Facebook group. So you can catch me in both places from that one link. Very cool. Damon Burton, thanks for hanging out with me today, man. Thanks, Jeremy.